Are you ready this morning? Amen. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 20 this morning. And just because we took a bit of a pause for a couple of weeks, let me bring you back up to speed as to where we're at. Last time we mentioned that chapter 18 had caused a bit of discussion and debate down through the ages among believers. And in contrast to that, the first 10 verses of chapter 19 went beyond the realm of discussion and debate and has almost reached the level and has, in some cases, of division and discord within the body because of one statement made by Paul in Acts 19.2, where the question was posed, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And from that point on, there is raged a debate in the church concerning the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And there are two main schools of interpretation on that verse. And we also noted that if we remember the importance of context, we can find really what the Bible is trying to communicate to us and thus arrive at a third possible interpretation. And that's how we spent our time uh, last time, rather than discussing what's caused division and discord. Now, the two main interpretations are these concerning the presence of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit in one who has been born again. Now, one group says there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit that's separate from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And it takes place apart from the moment of regeneration. Now, there's a subgroup within that group that even goes as far to say that using this particular verse as evidence that you can be saved, but not be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that comes upon your learning of his presence and purpose. Now, the other group says there's no such thing as a second blessing. There's no such thing as a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Nobody can be saved and not be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, What that means then is in our previous studies that the man we were introduced to by name of Apollos, a man who was mighty in scripture, according to Acts chapter 18, and the 12 men we met in our opening verses last time were not Christians because they had not the awareness of the empowering of the Holy Spirit, even though they were called disciples, even though they were called believers. Now, I believe within the two camps that both are half right and both are half wrong. I do not believe that you have everything that you're going to get at the moment of salvation as it pertains to the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, in a way, because the power of the Holy Spirit is power, and we have not just the power to be witnesses, but we have the power of God manifested in our lives in the interactions we have with society. I don't think God necessarily gives a Christian everything they're going to need down through the course of life because initially we don't really understand it and know how to handle it. And when we become more equipped through the word and recognize the ministries and purposes of the spirit, then we'll get what we need at any moment in time. I do not believe it is possible to swing to the other camp for somebody to be saved and not indwelt with the Holy Spirit. After all, according to Ephesians 1.13, when you are born again, you receive a guarantee of your future inheritance through the indwelling of the Spirit of God. And that's instantaneous and permanent in the life of those who truly believe. Now, we, from that perspective, titled our time, To Be Continued. 
In other words, the work of the Holy Spirit is going to continue down through the ages. And there is a further empowering of the Spirit, I believe, beyond the presence of the Spirit at the moment of regeneration or having been born again. Now, some of this future empowering or further empowering is circumstance-specific. Case in point, somebody needs to be healed. God has you as the vessel present there to pray over them, lay hands on them, anoint them with oil, and see the healing take place for the glory of God. Now, the other could be opportunity-related, where you need to share the gospel or truth with someone that will set them free, and you are empowered to do so in that moment in time. God gives you what you need. I have found in many, many times over the years that God revealed to me in a specific situation something I didn't even know I knew. And I guess I didn't know it because he told it to me at that time or called something to mind. That's how God operates. Amen? Amen. Now, we made three observations, and they were simply these. Every Christian, say every Christian. Every Christian should be growing in the power of the Spirit and knowledge of the Word. Now, that's to be continued throughout the ages of history. It doesn't matter how close you are to the inception of the church or how close you are to the end of the church age. Every Christian should be growing in the power of the Spirit and the knowledge of the Word. Now, we also made the point that repentance is essential to walking in power. And we'll find that underscored for us again in our rather interesting verses this morning. Now, we also were reminded there will never, say never, There will never be a better way to reach the world for Christ than preaching the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing from the word of God. That hasn't changed, won't change until the end of the church age when we are all in the presence of the Lord as his children. Now, these things will be continued and they'll be true in every season of church history, including the one we're living in now, which I believe is the last of the church age. Now, our next verses are going to open a door for us to do some theological housekeeping, so to speak, and maybe clear up some murkiness concerning what's in front of us. Now, this again has led to uh, more than just mere debate. Some have tried to replicate and profit from what we're going to read through uh, practice, that is, in our text. And it's a rather interesting and even curious set of circumstances that we have recorded for us. And I think the best way for us to set the stage is to remember the third commandment of the Lord and also the deity of Christ, which will be germane to our time this morning. Now, in Exodus 27, we're told, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God, how? In vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, the first thing we need to understand is what this is not saying. This is not saying don't use the name of the Lord as an oath or a curse word, so to speak, like many say today. That's not the context of what is being stated here, even though that sentiment is true. We shouldn't use Jesus' name just randomly as though we would use another oh, inappropriate word. His name is not a curse word. Somebody say, and also the sentiment is certainly true. However, the Hebrew word translated as vain means emptiness or falsehood. It can also mean to ruin morally, get this now, 
or use deceptively. The third commandment says you shall not deceptively use the name of the Lord. In other words, we are not to empty God's name of its power by using it falsely, using it to promote immorality or to use his name deceptively for the purpose of personal gain, fame, position or power. And yet we see that happening in our world today. Are there charlatans in this final age of the church today? Are there those using the name of the Lord deceptively to gain power and fame today? Absolutely. And therefore, they are using the name of the Lord in vain. And we're going to find that this is nothing new. And there's another group doing the same thing in our text today. Now, that just gives us our title this morning, which is quite simply the name of the Lord. Our title this morning is the name of the Lord. Now, we're going to find three reminders of how the name of the Lord is to be used or not used and the blessings or consequences of acknowledging or ignoring what his name is all about. Now, remember Psalm 138, too, where the psalmist says, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your what? Name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Now remember, we've mentioned this multiple times. We quote this verse frequently and rightfully so. Because listen, we all recognize if somebody's word is no good. If somebody's word cannot be trusted, it puts a cloud or shadow over their name. And therefore, the Lord has said, because my word is true, because my word is infallible, because my word is to be exalted above all else. It is what establishes the authority of his name. Now, we need to also remember in Hebrew culture, a name represents one's character and nature. And in God's case, it represents his attributes as well. And our text is going to help us remember the power that is in the name of Jesus. And that name is not to be abused, and it cannot be exploited without consequences, we will see in our text this morning. So would you stand, read with me please, Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 20. Acts 19, 11. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, And the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them or leaped on them, overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. 
So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Lord, that is our prayer, our cry, our petition this morning, that your word grow mightily in our hearts and it prevail over this country. Lord, certainly around the world too, but you have placed us here. This is our base of operations. May the word prevail in Orange County. May the word grow in strength and power and might in our hearts and minds. And through our text as well this morning, would you empower us to do the work of ministry, to reach the world with the everlasting gospel of Christ. To bring us to that end, we pray by the power of your spirit and give us ears to hear what you're saying to CCT and beyond this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you may be seated. Our first reminder concerning the name of the Lord is going to come from verses 11 through 12. Now, we're told rather interestingly that Paul worked or God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul and that the healing of the sick and the casting out of demons were then listed as the miracles that took place. Now, a couple of things to establish here. The first being in Matthew 10, 5 through 8. We're told that Jesus sent out uh, the 12, Jesus sent out and commanded them. Do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. Do what? Cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And then we're told in Mark 1, 32 to 34, that at evening when the sun had set, They brought to him, Jesus, all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, healing the sick and casting out demons are undoubtedly miracles and manifestations of the power and authority of the Holy Spirit over the realm of darkness. However, in the realm of the miraculous, these things are not anomalies. These are what the Holy Spirit was doing through Jesus. These are what the Holy Spirit was doing through the disciples. This is what the Holy Spirit has done down through the ages. Now, the reason that that is important to point out is that it is the method that was unusual and not the manifestation of the Spirit. And the method that was being used is that the sweatbands and work aprons that Paul would use while making tents would be taken and applied to those who were away from Paul without his physical presence being there. And there was power attached to the placement of these on or in the proximity of those who were sick or demon possessed and they were being healed. Now, we have to understand that this thing that is happening is unusual, but it's not unprecedented because God has used inanimate objects as tools in the course of history. Remember, Moses had a staff that he carried with him and he would place it in the water, it would turn to blood, hold it over his head and seas would part. And there was also Aaron's rod that budded, which identified him as the one who the Lord had chosen to be the head of uh, the Levitical tribe and priesthood. Remember, there was a jawbone in the hands of Samson that allowed him to kill a thousand Philistines, even though the actual power was that of the Lord's. The Lord used a fleece in the case of Gideon to communicate to him that God indeed was speaking to him. 
So if God uses handkerchiefs and aprons to heal, it might be unusual, but he can do that if he wants to. Amen? Now, we also need to note how this is packaged or phrased. God worked miracles through Paul. And just like Moses' rod, Balaam's donkey, or Jesus rubbing mud in the eyes of a blind man, the method might be unusual, but the power source is the same, and that is God. Now this tells us the first thing we need to remember about the character and attributes represented uh, by the name of the Lord, the name that is above all others, and it's just this. Here's the first thing to consider this morning. Listen, the name of the Lord has the power and authority to deliver us from evil. The name of the Lord has the power and authority to deliver us from evil. Is that not part of the model prayer that the Lord told us to pray? Deliver us from evil or deliver us from temptation. Does the name of the Lord have the power to do so? Absolutely. Do you believe there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain? Do you believe the name of Jesus is still setting captives free? Do you believe in the name of Jesus, the sick can be healed, the dead can be raised, and demoniacs freed from an evil presence in their life? Do you believe that today? Well, it's all associated with the same source, and that is the name that is above all others. In Psalm 116.4, the psalmist says, Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. He is our deliverer. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. He is our protector. James 5.14-15 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. He is our healer, both physically and spiritually. Somebody say, Now, the name of the Lord has the power and authority to deliver us from every form of evil that has plagued man since the beginning. It's a name that cannot be bound to a method. It's a name that cannot be limited by circumstance or difficulty. It is a name that cannot be hindered by the forces of darkness and all of their efforts to discourage and destroy us. The name of the Lord is so powerful and carries such authority that someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, if God chooses to use a sweatband or a leather work apron as a vessel to display his authority, it's no less possible than living uh, using a living, breathing, fallible human being. Somebody say, Amen. Now, Let's look at the middle section here. We've got some interesting things to discuss. Look at verses 13 to 16 once again, as we're told of itinerant Jewish exorcists who took it upon themselves to call on the name of the uh, Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. That indicates a problem right there. Also, there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, who did also. And the evil spirit answered and said, this is nearly comical, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, 
so that they fled out of that house very proud and accomplished. (coughs) Naked and wounded. The great scholar and commentator F.F. Bruce wrote this about this passage. Exorcism was a common trade, and the best exorcists were thought to know the names of the more powerful spirits. It was also commonly believed that the Jewish priest had access to the secret name of the God of Israel and its pronunciation, and thus had special power over the spirit world, end quote. And this is exactly what was happening with this particular group and the mention of a high priest and seven sons of his. So it would not be unexpected for this particular group to seek to exploit the name of Jesus for their own purposes and end. Now, we know nothing about this priest of Siva other than that he was a high priest. He lived in Ephesus. He had seven sons who didn't know Jesus but wanted to tap into what the name of Jesus was doing through Paul. And there are a multitude of lessons for us to learn here. We'll discuss a handful of them. And the first being the word exercise means to put on an oath or to put under oath. In other words, excuse me, these seven sons were using Jesus' name like some type of magical incantation. In other words, it was a formula by which the spirit realm had to respond. It was almost like they were casting a magic spell over those they hoped to cast demons out of. Now, these men took the name of the Lord in vain, and they paid a price for it quite clearly. They said to a man possessed with an evil spirit, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches, which indicates Jesus uh, that the Jesus Paul preached was unknown to them personally. Now, we also need to note this. Using Jesus' name like this did not give them power over the demonic spirit because they had no personal relationship with the one whose name they were employing. Now, the evil spirit said to the septet of men or brothers, I know Jesus and Paul, but who are you? And at that moment, the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt upon them or leaped upon them, tore their clothes from them and sent these itinerant Jewish exorcists running through the streets of Ephesus naked and beat up. Now, I would say that that would be a bit of a hindrance to future business opportunities for these guys. Now, in Mark nine thirty-eight to 40, John answered him saying, teacher, we saw someone who did not follow us casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, do not forbid him for no one works a miracle in my name. No one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterward speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. Now, Mark chapter 16, 17 and 18 says, these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, <coughs> excuse me, it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will what? Now, this clearly tells us of the spiritual status of the seven sons of Siva. They weren't with the Lord. They were on the other team, so to speak. So the name of the Lord to them was nothing more than a device to use for their own purposes. And there would certainly be a fee involved for their services. So they were trying to use Jesus' name to line their own pockets. And it's a good thing nobody's doing that today. 
Now, this also gives us a reminder as those who do know Jesus and those who do believe in his name, that we cannot use his name either like some kind of rubber stamp to acquire the things that we desire or receive personal power for our own advancement or usage if it's not inside his will. Now, John 14, 12 to 13 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these will he do because I go to my father. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. Do you believe that? Now, that the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Let me ask you something. Have you ever prayed a prayer and concluded the prayer with in Jesus name? And then what you prayed for didn't happen. What you asked for never materialized. Listen, lying in church is really bad. So let's just all answer the question honestly. We have prayed in Jesus' name, and what we asked for didn't happen. Right? It's true for all of us. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we need a better understanding of what it means to pray in Jesus' name. We've all prayed for someone who was ill that they would recover and seen them go home to glory or pass away. It's been true for all of us. We've all prayed for healing and not seen it happen. It's happened to all of us, even though we incorporated Jesus' name. Now, here's the first thing to understand. It's not an option that the Bible is wrong. Hello? It's not an option that the Bible is wrong. So the statement we just read is a statement that is true and should be employed by we as Christians. So therefore, there must be a misunderstanding on our end of what that phrase is intended to mean. Now, there is power in the name of Jesus. There's healing in the name of Jesus. There's freedom in the name of Jesus. You're getting weaker as we go. And there is provision in the name of Jesus. Now, here's what we need to remember to set our minds on the right course concerning employing his name. Listen, the name of the Lord is the only name worthy of glory and power. The name of the Lord is the only name worthy of glory and power. Now, obviously, these men were not in the exorcism business for the sake of God's glory and setting captives free. And they were trying to use Jesus' name like a rubber stamp to get their way to line their pockets. And this scene tells us that their previous encounters were operating in a manner much like the false miracles of today. Yes, there are real miracles and there are those who are going around proclaiming they're in the miracle business. But nothing biblical or of a biblical proportion ever seems to happen at their events. And we live in an age of deception and delusion. And many people today actually believe what they are being told by charlatans, even though what they say is completely contrary to the facts and evidence. And this is why we see massive crowds at healing crusades and events of that nature. Because people believe what they are being told when the truth is there are already venues where healing crusades should take place. They're called hospitals. Listen, if you have the gift of healing, 
If you can heal masses on demand, then you shouldn't be renting an arena. You shouldn't be charging admission. You should be driving to any and every hospital saying, get up out of your bed and come forth in Jesus' name. You are healed. Go forth and give him glory. That's how that gift should operate if it's being manifested through any individual's life. And this is the misappropriation of Jesus' name. This is using and taking his name in vain. Listen, if somebody legitimately has the gift of healing and are a true believer in Christ, then marketing their gift is never something that is going to come to their mind. Here's why we know it's true. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. I want you to think about this. If the demon would have been cast out of this man, the business of the seven sons of Siva would have been booming. And these traveling charlatans would have lined their pockets with the coins of people truly needing help, but would not receive any deliverance, just false claims of something miraculous having occurred. But God was not in this, and the demon overpowered the men, even though the name of Jesus had been employed though it was misused. Now in Romans 9, 17, we're told the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that what? My name may be declared in all the earth. Now, back to praying in Jesus' name. I think that we would see a lot more of what we read of in the book of Acts if there weren't so many people trying to take God's glory for what has happened and what he has done. And that's not the case in our personal prayer life. The fact is we have to recognize attaching what we've studied thus far about the name of Jesus and his character, his nature, and his attributes that also would include his will. If we ask anything in his will, he will do it. And his will and his name in that sense are synonymous Because he is the word of God and the word of God contains the will of God. Amen. So listen, we cannot do what many do today. We cannot let our thoughts run away with us as though the name of Jesus, Yeshua, is some type of incantation or magic formula by which we can receive whatever it is we want. Because the fact of the matter is some of God's answers to prayer are starts with N, ends with O. No. God says no sometimes, right? God says no to sincere and serious, heartfelt cries and petitions at times, and it's happened to us all. So if we are praying that someone would recover and they do not recover and the Lord takes them into his presence, listen, we need to understand that the Lord in his sovereignty and his majesty said no to our petition because maybe going home was what was the best thing for that person, even though it leaves us grieving and heartbroken here on the face of the earth. Listen, this is something I think we need to keep in our thinking. Going to heaven is never punishment. And I can guarantee you this, any person who knows Jesus, who you prayed for to be healed and God took them home, does not want you to pray that the Lord send them back. (laughs) 
They want to stay where they are because they are where he is and will be with him forever. Listen, there is still power in Jesus' name. It is still the name that is the authority over all creation. And sometimes heartfelt, pleading, yearning, heartbroken Christians receive a no answer from God, even though they prayed in his name. But you were asking for his will and that he would receive glory through what you were praying for. Now, I believe God heals today. I believe God still raises the dead today. I believe that God casts out demons today. And I believe he does these things for his own namesake and glory, not for the promotion of any man, woman, or ministry. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. Now let's look at 17 and 20 and wrap, or through 20 and wrap up our time this morning. Maybe we'll finish a little early to make up for last week. No, you didn't care. Right? 17 to 20. Thanks for saying that. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Pay close attention to the verbiage there. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily, and what? Prevailed. Now, looking at this scene, we could call it the ultimate fail, at least on Satan's part. He had a plan, and in essence, it backfired on him. And one of Satan's minions leaped on these seven sons of Siva, leaving them naked and wounded, running through the streets of Ephesus. And because of this, it became known to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord was magnified. This wasn't the outcome Satan was hoping for, I assure you. He was hoping for fear of his might, power, and kingdom. But because of this manifested evil, many realized in Ephesus that what they had been toying with was actually demonic and therefore dangerous. Now, Ephesus was a stronghold of Satan at this time. Superstition and satanic rituals abounded in the city. Literature related to the dark arts, so to speak, were plentiful. And there were books of incantations that abounded in the city. Many of these books would contain an amulet or a charm to be used in the incantation and spells that the books recorded. And this had made its way into the church. Now, sadly, there are many churches today who believe, or at least the congregants among them, believe that there is power in a crystal or some other inanimate object, and they hang them from their car mirrors and all those other things. And listen, that's just nonsense. Yes, God can use an inanimate object. We've already established that fact. But to be selling crystals at the church for healing power is something that is not contained in the annals of scripture or through church history. Amen. Now, it seems that this had made its way into the church because of what we're told here as we paused and highlighted uh, that verse 18 there for a moment. Many who had believed came and confessed telling of their deeds. Now, 
Some among the people who had believed then in response to what they had seen brought the books and burned them. And this was no small group. And some have estimated the value of this 50,000 pieces of silver to in our economy to relate or translate to several million dollars. So let's look at the progression in this scene. Evil was exposed. The name of the Lord was magnified. Confession and repentance of sin came. And then the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Now, the word prevail means to have force or impact. Now, consider something this morning that we're all familiar with from the time of King Solomon. Remember, he had asked the Lord, what if the nation becomes idolatrous or moral? And what would you do in response? And the Lord said this in Second Chronicles 7, 12 to 14. <clears throat> then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, here again, a frequently quoted verse here at the church. Here's why I wanted to bring it up again this morning. The Lord didn't say if the pagans would quit worshiping idols, I'll heal their land. The Lord didn't say if the heathen heathen would quit being hedonistic, then I will forgive their sin and heal their land. He said, if my people would return to prayer and repentance, I will hear from heaven and bring about healing of their land. Now, this is the same exact progression that we see in our text in the New Testament book of Acts, which tells us that since Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and Malachi says the Lord does not change, we need to uh, observe this concluding point this morning. Listen, the name of the Lord, say the name of the Lord, is the only hope for any person, city, or country. The name of the Lord is the only hope for any person, city, or nation, I should say. Now, remembering that the name we're talking about is not just a title or a moniker for the sake of... It is a name that is a distinct personage from any other. It is a name that is unlike any other. And his name alone means God is salvation. And therefore, salvation is exclusive to his name. And he blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Listen, our land needs refreshing today. And that can only come from the presence of the Lord. And that refreshing comes when God's people called by his name, humble themselves in repentant prayers. We see those who had adopted worldly practices in the uh, practices of their home and repented of them. And they took them and they didn't sell them to somebody else to put a couple of bucks in their pocket. They burned them, destroyed their ability to confuse and harm others. And listen... There may be inappropriate magazines, DVDs, stored uh, information on computers. There may be drug paraphernalia and other means of self-medicating in homes today of those who profess to know Christ. Those things are all things that ought to be cast out of our homes. And we ought to have nothing to do with such things. Hmm. Because the formula tells us, if I can use that word, 
That's how the whole process works. Humble, pray, repent, heal. I've always remembered the words of K. Smith. I found it to be one of the most stunning statements that I've ever heard. And I quote it frequently, think of it often, where K. said, How can we entertain ourselves with the sins that Christ died for? How can we find pleasure in watching things that sent Jesus to the cross or labeling them as entertainment? Leonard Ravenhill put it like this. Entertainment is a devil's substitute for joy. And it just tickles our senses, uh, touches our emotions. And I say this for this reason. We live in an Ephesus type of season of history, not the Ephesus of Revelation 2, but the Ephesus of Acts 19. Our nation and cities are filled with the promotion of demonic things. They need to be exposed for what they are, and they cannot be exposed and cast out by a weak, compromised church or group of Christians who simply try and throw out the name of Jesus as though that is the magic fix-all. Now, Jesus can fix everything, and his name is the authority over all creation. But listen, we as Christians need to live up to our name. Remember, Christian means like Christ or Christ-like. And I'm not saying that we need to do that even now. I'm saying we need to do that especially now as we see our nation and world in a moral and spiritual chaos where good is called evil and evil is called good. And in Acts 4, 29 to 31, the prayer was offered, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness that they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place that they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, resulting in what? They spoke the word of God with boldness. Listen, this is what happened after the disciples were commanded by the Jewish council not to preach in Jesus' name. They prayed. They sought the Lord for confirming signs and wonders. And when they sought to bring glory to Jesus, the place that they were assembled in was shaken, resulting in this boldness to speak the word of God into a group of people who had forbidden them to do so. Listen, they're trying to shut our mouths today. The government is trying to shut our mouths today. Listen, I'm thankful for this administration and for all the things that uh, concerning Israel that our nation has done, recognizing the eternal capital of Israel being Jerusalem, laying uh, acknowledgement out in the public arena at the Golan Heights or Israeli territory. The stance that our president has taken siding with Israel is a wise stance. It's a biblical stance, and I'm thankful for it. And I was amazed at how many Canadians over the weekend said, we pray for your president, we pray for your country, we love your president, and we live in a nation. We live in a nation where many hate our president and do not honor the office of the president. And we have athletes in the public arena in front of a worldwide audience dragging the American flag on the ground and stepping on it, showing huge disrespect to our nation when we are called to honor those who are in authority, even though we may not agree with all of their behaviors. 
I told the group up in Canada, I'm so thankful for the lowest unemployment rate in over 50 years in our country. I'm thankful that all over for the first time in a long time, I see help wanted signs everywhere on businesses on the way to church or wherever I'm going. I am thankful for those things, but I do wish the president would lay off a Twitter once in a while. (laughs) But the truth is, listen, our country is going in the same direction as the world. And we have a respite right now with this administration. But there is coming a time, maybe after this particular four-year season, maybe if we're fortunate, there'll be another four behind that, where the globalist push and move to incorporate us into a one-world system is going to be held off for another four years. But listen, for you and I, the answer is still the same Preach the name of Jesus to a lost and dying world because he is the only one who can change the individual life. He is the only one who can turn around any given city. He is the only one who can save a whole nation. And that's what I pray for our country, that the reason that the United States is not... Did I just say United States? That the United States is not in the Bible is because the rapture cleans this place out and we're in the presence of the Lord. And Father, we are grateful for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for these reminders that we are not to use your name as some type of marketing tool. We're certainly not to use it to exploit those who are in need of deliverance or healing. We thank you, Lord, that at the same time we found that there is real power in your name. There is healing power, freeing power, forgiving power, delivering power in the name of Jesus. And Lord, for all those times where we've said in Jesus name and then seen the opposite of what we have prayed for happen or nothing at all, help us to understand that what we were asking for, for some reason, known only to you, it was outside of what your plan and purposes were for that moment. So Lord, help us to trust in you when the answers are no or wait, just as we trust in you when the answers are yes. So we thank you, Lord, for the power of your name. And Lord, may we go out and boldly proclaim your name in this last age of church history before you come to take us home. And may all that we do be done in your name and for your glory, for it alone is worthy of praise. We give you thanks for our time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.